Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Leaders Among Us. I am your host, Alex Nogales, President and CEO of the National Hispanic Media Coalition. On this show, I will be interviewing leaders from all sectors of activity, be it culture, politics, the arts, health, education, business, and on and on. What is a leader? I suggest to you that a leader is someone who is committed to making a difference in our society, in the way they think, and the way they act, create, and innovate positive change. Today's guest fits that description perfectly. He is Martin Castro, the president, CEO of the Mexican-American Opportunities Foundation. Martin, welcome to the program. Thank you, Alex. It's a, a pleasure being here with you. Well, tell us, first of all, what is MAOF? MAOF is a nonprofit organization that was started in 1963 in East Los Angeles as a way to offer uh, Latinos of that era, which were mainly Mexican-Americans at that time, uh, by the founder of, of the organization, uh, so that they could, you know, uh, learn skills to get better jobs. That that was the early days of MAOF, is to um, bring some job training programs uh, to that community uh, so that they could have a better life and a shot at the American dream. And so here we are 54 years later, and uh, our organization is one of the largest Latino social services organizations in the country. From those early days in 1963, we have grown to include services in uh, seven California counties, of course, the largest county being L.A., but we offer services in San Diego County, in Orange County, San Bernardino, where we expanded a few years ago, of course, Los Angeles County, uh, Ventura County, Kern County, and Monterey County that represents uh, our second largest uh, presence of programs and employees. So altogether, we have like 63 facilities where we offer the various services that I'll talk about in a little bit, uh, and almost 1,000 employees. And the thing is, we keep growing. Why do we keep growing? Because the government understands that we have this 54-year track record and no blemishes to our management of taxpayer dollars to offer services. And so we are highly thought of by them. And whenever there's an opportunity for growth and uh, other uh, services, or when current contractors have uh, performance issues, they call me. You know, that's what happened in Monterey County. The contractor screwed up the contract over there. They called me and it took them two years to finally transfer all those programs to MAOF. And, and the same has happened in Kern County, where I'm originally from. We used to have just one job training center there. There were two or three different early education operators who lost the contract because of poor performance. Who do they call? Martin Castro, because they know him from Kern County. So now we have four preschools over there. Uh, annually, conservative estimates are that we serve over 100,000 people a year. 100,000. That's really what makes us one of the largest Latino nonprofits in the country. And what is your budget like now? Uh, we're up to 93 million. You know, we went down to $59 million because of the recession that hit California. Uh, so for four or five years, we, we lost money. We had layoffs. 
we laid off 200 people. We had to shutter some facilities. Uh, California is doing wonderful now again. Um, and so we have a legislature that is totally dedicated to expanding uh, services if the money's there. And luckily, California is leading the nation in job creation. And therefore, the projections this so far this fiscal year are above the estimates as far as the collection of, uh, of tax revenue. Uh, so that's a blessing that is really good uh, to our community that we serve that needs these services. Well, you started off as a job training center back in the day, but now you do so much more. What are those services that you provide? The core service that we have now, Alex, is um, early education. We have 43 uh, licensed centers in those seven counties, most of them, of course, in Los Angeles, that are funded by the state uh, Department of Education, the Early Childhood Development Division. But they, in turn, get federal money from the feds to offer these services. Um, and so we have um, uh, 43 centers. We teach primarily you know, kids that are really zero to five. And the idea behind early education is to get the child to be school ready so that when they start kindergarten, they're not starting from scratch. They have educational concepts. Uh, they can spell their name. Uh, we get kids that come only speaking Spanish. By the time they're five, they're speaking English. And, you know, really you need to have a good basic understanding of English and so that's what I'm really proud of that we do. We serve about 2,500 children, preschool children, almost all of them Latino. And one of the, the uh, things that I really enjoy is getting calls from mothers who had kids way back in the day in the 70s that are now professionals. This one lady called me uh, recently and said, you know, Mr. Castro, I just wanted you to know that two of my boys went to the Downey Preschool and they're both Latinos, uh, and one of them graduated from college, the other one's going to college, and they keep telling me and whoever listens to them that it was that experience they got in that Downey preschool at MAOF that really led them to, uh, you know, seek higher education. And Alex, that's just two. There's been thousands and thousands of kids that are now working that got their start at one of the MAOF facilities. So 2,500 children, 43 centers. Uh, we also offer early Head Start and regular Head Start, which is, again, zero to five. And that's funded by the Los Angeles County Office of Education. So when you add those, that enrollment to the state-funded enrollment, we have close to 5,000 preschool children in those 43 centers that we have. Another area is the child care subsidy that we have for welfare recipients. You know, when welfare reform came in the 1990s, late 1990s. President Clinton and Newt Gingrich were the ones that worked together to establish welfare reform. That, to me, is the best thing that ever happened to our community. Why? Because you have a five-year period, lifetime period, where you can receive cash aid. And before that, growing up in Bakersfield, I would see you know, some of my friends that were female just have baby after baby, and their check would get bigger and bigger. And there was no incentive back then, you know. Um, and being on, on welfare, um, sometimes your kids grew up to be on welfare because that's 
kind of role model to have. So welfare reform, I think, uh, really helped our community to, you know, we have to now learn skills to get a job and be self-sufficient. And, you know, that's one of the things that I always tell uh, my staff, anyone that listens to me, is that, you know, our programs are designed to have people learn the skills so that they can become taxpayers and not tax takers. And so it, it's really a great feeling, Alex, when you, when you see what we are doing in the community, and especially with the examples that, like, that I gave you. Some of the other programs that we have besides early education and the child care subsidy program that I just talked about for, for uh, public assistance recipients, we do have senior programs for senior citizens, primarily the Latino seniors and Spanish-speaking seniors. We have one of the programs, it's called the Senior Hispanic Information and Assistance Program. That's where we uh, do and complete benefit forms for them, like how to apply for Social Security, understanding Medicare, you know, drug coverage, the Affordable Care Act, and we also provide bus tokens so that they can go to medical appointments, even to the grocery store, because as you know, when you're a low-income senior, you get minimal Social Security benefits, and some of them don't know that they are entitled to all these other services. That's what this program does. It's funded by the City Office on Aging. About two years ago, we got another contract from the City Office on Aging that we truly love. There was an agency that gave up in Boyle Heights their contract to provide meals to seniors at seven meal locations in Boyle Heights. So they gave that up, and the director came running to me. He <laughs> said, Martin, you guys have been in, in Boyle Heights for many, many years. No one else can do this, and I want you to do it. And so we did our due diligence. We got board approval. Uh, we looked at the entire budget, which is $1.3 million, what workforce uh, we were going to take over. And luckily, we don't pay any rent on those seven facilities because they're city-owned. In addition to that, so we serve 200 meals a day, um, hot, hot noon meal to 200 seniors in those seven facilities. I want to talk about you, okay? Dionisio Morales, uh, famed Mexican-American, is a person who started this organization back in the day, 1963, is that correct? Mm -hmm. And uh, you succeeded him. Right, right after him, you came on and you have expanded it and expanded it and expanded it to what it is today. But very little is known about you, and I want to probe that. What drove you? How did you get here? Now, I know that you were an immigrant, mm -hmm. parent, um, excuse me, uh, child of immigrant parents, even though your dad was born in Texas, right. he went back and forth on the border. And then at a certain point, he brought the entire family onto Texas mm -hmm. and then onto Bakersfield, where you were, for all intents and purposes, a, a grape picker, a tomato picker, and everything else that you could pick. That's right. So what happened? I mean, how much education did you have coming into the United States? Well, I actually learned... Um, how to um, write and read in Spanish because I did attend uh, one or two grades in when when I when we lived in Mexico, but then I also learned English uh, when we would be in Texas as a young child. Um, so what happened? How we ended up in Kern County uh, in the outskirts of Bakersfield was that some of my father's relatives uh, moved over here. 
And, you know, the Central Valley is rich in agriculture, always work. And they were workers. They were migrant farm workers who had a work ethic. And so he moved the entire family. I think I was 10 years old. Um, and so we were moving from place to place. So I had a school ex experience like uh, five different schools in a year until one day my father settled outside Bakersville in a community called Mettler, which is a farming community. And I attended Met Mettler School. And to me, that was the defining moment because uh, of my educational you know, upbringing because it provided me and my siblings with stability, we no longer moved around. And I got to tell you, uh, I went there from the fifth grade to the eighth grade, graduated the eighth grade. I had some of the most wonderful teachers there. Um, it seems like uh, we were like co a college experience now when I look back on it because we would move from one teacher who was uh, uh, experienced in geography, history, to the mathematician, uh, to the English and the science. And so our day consisted of going from class to class, sort of like college, right? The other schools that I went to, you, you went to a home teacher and you were right there all day with him or her. You know, they were all Anglo back in the day. Uh, I went from 65 to 68 to that elementary school. But they were caring people. And uh, they saw something in me uh, that I didn't realize, and that is, I mean, I was always getting A's, <laughs> you know. I was always a, a star, you know, in the, in the uh, athletics. When we had school plays, I would memorize the entire script, not just my part. And as some of the kids forgot their lines, I would say the lines. And so that's it for them or whisper it to them. And so my teachers <coughs> saw a lot of potential in me, encouraged me to, Martin, you're not just high school material, you're college material. And I tell you, Alex, working in the hot sun in the uh, summer in Bakersfield where it's 110 degrees, there's nothing more to motivate you than going to, <laughs> you know, education, education, education. So one of my teachers, my seventh grade teacher, Mr. Russell Bigler, who had a tremendous uh, educational career there in Kern County, went on and spent a good portion of his career with the uh, Kern County Office of Education. When he retired in 2009, he got a hold of me and he said, Martin, I want you to come and speak for five minutes about uh, your Mettler experience and how, you know, me and some of the other colleagues I had there influenced you. And I was so honored and I went and I spoke at his retirement dinner. That was so fun. So, you know, I went then after that, Alex, four years to Bakersfield High School. I was a great student, just like I was in Mettler. I don't know if they have it anymore, but there's this uh, um, thing called the California Scholarship Federation. In order for you to be a member of that organization, you had to get all A's and maybe one B. And so I was on the wrestling team at the same time. I was in college level four preparatory courses. And every single year I made that list, all A's and B's. And some of the coaches had to sign my, 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 my form that says, yeah, okay, I recognize he's in the California Scholarship Federation. They were amazed that I would get straight A's and maybe one B, that they would tell the other athletes, look what Mar Martin got. 
you guys can do it too. <laughs> some of those wrestlers that I was with, they're big. I mean, I was only 110 pounds at the limit. Some of those guys are big. They would just come to me and say, how do you do it? You just got to get into it. You know, you've got to have the passion for it. So, uh, and then after four years of Bakersfield College or a Bakersfield High School, I went to Bakersfield College, enrolled uh, there. And I'll tell you what, all through Bakersfield High School, I had all Anglo students and a couple African-Americans. When I went to Bakersfield College and I took Chicano history, I had a Chicano teacher for the first time in my life, and that did something to me. It's like he looks like me. He sounds like me. His last name, Nieto, Jesus Nieto, um, he founded the Chicano Studies Department there at Bakersfield College. Um, and so I took lit uh, uh, a literature course in Chicano studies. How and did it change you, Martin? It, it just made me feel like um, more like who I was. I just like a rediscovery of myself that I have Mexican roots and you need to be proud of it. In the literature course, I read uh, Rodolfo Anaya, Bless Me Ultima. And that was, I mean, that was the first novel I ever read that um, I identified with. It wasn't Tom Sawyer, you know, <laughs> or Huckleberry Finn. Um, it was about people that I identified with, uh, Mexican-Americans, you know. Um, and so it changed me because I had a new appreciation for myself, and I think it brought, it brought a, an awakening in me of who we are and the struggles that we face to be accepted. I mean, you know... I faced discrimination like we all did, probably going through the grammar school, high school. Uh, friends, good Anglo friends, they get, get mad at you and call you dirty Mexican. You know, we went through all that. So by enrolling in those two Chicano studies classes, it, it, it woke me up as to, you know what? You come from a great background with the Mayans and the Aztecs and, um, and you know, even though our parents didn't have the opportunities we have, That's why they were both migrant farm workers. Um, I knew then that I had to work and dedicate my life to do what I could to change the lives of other Latinos, other Mexican-Americans. And so after Bakersfield College, I went to Cal State Bakersfield, um, graduated there. I actually graduated with a Bachelor of Science degree in biology. But I all, because I had dreams of maybe going to medical school, you know, that changed. But I also had a lot of other, like sociology courses. I further uh, took Latino studies, Chicano studies at Cal State Bakersfield. And when I graduated, I saw this opening in the newspaper about Mexican-American Opportunity Foundation. The Bakersfield office is recruiting a job counselor. That was my first job. Dionisio interviewed me. And I started working right out of college and with MAOF. That was 1979. I was young, 23 years old. Um, but I knew that that uh, program was to help high school dropouts, you know, get their GED back, get them some work experience. Uh, they get uh, the minimum wage. And so I had like 30 of them under my wing. And I saw a lot of them change positively. They got their GED. They get their first entry-level job after they were with me for a while. And um, so 
I've been with MAOF ever since, really, except for a period of five years that we can talk about in a little while, uh, absence from MAOF. And it was a great experience when I went to Washington, D.C. That was the, that was the, um, the break that I had. How long were you with MAOF before you went to D.C.? 79 to 85, so that's about... Uh, six years? Six years yeah. or so. And then you went to D.C., Why? Well, we one of the programs that we offered was funded by uh, a nonprofit organization that was based over there in Washington, D.C. It was called the National Council of Senior Citizens. And they had a grant from the Department of Labor. Uh, they must have had like 86 uh, funded organizations all across the country uh, for older worker programs, uh, low-income older worker uh, programs. And so uh, I met the new deputy director at some of the co- annual conferences we would go to. And he just liked the work that I did. You know, he'd read my reports. Um, we one year we were number two in the nation of those among those projects, the MAOF senior program that I ran, um, in getting seniors off the program and into regular jobs too, into regular jobs <laughs> that paid more. You know, and so he he liked my track record, and um, you know he interviewed me for a position with him. It was a, as a program representative where I would go to a different project to monitor them for compliance, for fiscal, you know, uh, requirements that, and that, that uh, we had. And so I was single at the time, Alex, and I said, I'm going to D.C. when he offered me the job. No second thoughts because uh, I didn't have to uproot kids or a wife. I was single. And so I spent five years over there, and it was awesome because – here I was, a guy that grew up working in the Central Valley, you know, uh, to be in the nation's capital. My office, you could see the White House from, the off, from my office window. Um, but I remember one of the first uh, banquets I went to in the Capitol, it was with Teddy Kennedy as a keynote speaker. <laughs> I mean, you know, everybody knows Ted Kennedy, you know, uh, but he was there um, live and in person. And it just, I was just so impressed. Then one night, we wandered into the Capitol uh, grounds, and there was the old guard of the Latino elected officials, uh, you know, the Texas guys, uh, Roy Ball, and, and they were celebrating a Cinco de Mayo. There was mariachis, Mexican food, and they just said, come on in, join us. So we did. Kika de la Garza, remember him? Yes, of course. He, he was there. Uh, all the other guys from Texas were there too. And, of course, Roy Ball, um, and Esteban Torres, um, and it was also it was a different type of of national level experience and exposure, and I was still a young man that I got in those five years. However, after four years of being there, and all my family being, of course, in Bakersfield, you know, I called the founder Dionisio, and I said, Dionisio, if you have a job for uh, an administrator position anywhere in your service area. Uh, I'd like to come back. I'm ready to come back. I miss my family. And so about six months later, he called me on a Saturday. He had my my home phone number. And he says, you ready to come home? I said, yeah, well, what do you got open? He goes, well, the administrator uh, resigned in Bakersfield to accept a state job. I mean, what else could I hope for? <laughs> the administrator, yeah. you know, who I used to report to when I started with MAOF, now is going to be the head guy in Kern County. And so that was 1991. We had like 25 employees there. 
We had job training programs. We still had that senior program I started with and that youth program that I uh, shared with you earlier. And I was back home. Little did I realize that nine years later, Alex, I would be asked to succeed our beloved founder, Dionisio. <laughs> you know, um, it was an amazing next step. Um, and it was an amazing next step for me in my professional growth and life. And um, How did that come about? Well, Dionisio retired? What happened? Well, what happened was Dionisio um, was um, getting... Uh, older and frail, and he had uh, a medical condition that really prevented him from working full-time. But about uh, two years before I got the job, in 1998, the board of directors realized that they needed to start grooming somebody. And so they actually interviewed me and about three or four other people. I was the only in-house guy that the, they interviewed and it turned out, after Dionisio could not come back because of his medical condition, that I was their number one candidate. And I actually turned them down first because I was so happy in Bakersfield. Uh, my daughter was starting kindergarten. You know, uh, I married my current wife, Berta. Uh, we had bought a house. And w Bakersfield is small compared to Southern California, right? So I actually turned them down. I said, you know, uh, maybe next time. So about a month later, they called me up again, and they said, we really need you over here, Martin. I said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll go there temporarily, and if I don't like it, I want to come back to the position in Kern County. Well, that was July 1st of 2000 when um, I went as the interim CEO with the understanding that if, uh, if I wanted to go back, I could. So my wife and daughter stayed over there, and then I started realizing that, you know, while I love Bakersfield and that's my hometown, that the possibilities were endless being the CEO of this growing Latino organization. Um, and so two months later, the board said, we're going to appoint you the permanent CEO. Uh, the founder is not going to be able to come back. And so um, I've been there ever since. And uh, my, my family moved over here and... Uh, early in 2001, and we bought a home in Montebello, that's where we live. My daughter went to school here, finished her elementary, went to high school, graduated from high school, started at uh, East Los Angeles Community College, and so she grew up here. She doesn't want to go back to Bakersfield, nor does my wife. <laughs> They're Southern California folks, so, you know, we have a home in Bakersfield, the one that I was sharing with you about, um, and so when we visit family in Bakersfield, we stay at our own, our second home over there. So one of my ideas was when I retire from MAOF, I'm going to sell this house here and move back to my old house in Bakersfield. That's not going to happen, Alex. As you know, you met my wife and my daughter and they're, they're from here. This yeah, is where they grew yeah. up. And uh, so. So Martin, you have done tremendous work, incredible work in building on the founder's dream of what MAOF, Mexican American Opportunities Foundation, could be. What to you? You have become a great leader here. I mean, you're leading one of the largest nonprofit organizations in the nation. When you talk to young people, when you talk to people that you feel maybe they'll succeed me when I leave, what leadership skills are you looking for? What 
skills are necessary to do the job that you've been doing for so many years now? Well, one of the primary things that a leader needs to do is motivate, motivate uh, his or her employees. When you motivate them, they become inspired. Um, when they become inspired and they see that you have certain traits like, you know, humbleness, that you respect them, that you listen to them, um, that you say thank you to them when they do a good job or bring them into your office alone when they need a little bit more prodding. Um, those to me are the traits of a great leader. If you can get your key employees to believe in you, to um, in what you're doing and what you know vision you have for the organization, everything else falls into place. I've got to tell you that I could not agree more with you because I follow the same principles. Martin, time is upon us. Thank you so very much for coming in. Thank you very much for your wisdom and hard work. Muchas gracias. Gracias, Alex. My pleasure. Dusty road in the corona